What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Dunks, the weekly NBA show over at Slab Stocks. I'm your host, Sam. Today, I've developed an overarching theory on why people buy the cards they do and why certain players in sports and eras perform better than others in the sports card market. And here it is. People buy what they like. Duncan DM'd me a YouTube video the other day, which was made by baseball card collector investor dealer on YouTube and was called an important concept to be aware of for long-term investing. One of the overarching points of the video was regarding the price discrepancy between modern prospects and retired all-time greats. He had a lot of other good points in the video too, like the unending number of parallels in the modern product that really just waters down sets. And I agree with that notion wholeheartedly. Uh, but the previous point about the price discrepancy between modern and vintage really just kind of got me thinking. I'm not sure why I only started thinking about it in these terms uh, now, because this whole idea has been talked about ad nauseum by any number of content creators and just plain card collectors for years now, but I've never heard it discussed in the terms in which I started to think about it. I think there's a reason for the newer cards being sold for more than older cards of objectively better players, and it's not just that people get carried away with the newest trends, although that certainly is true also. Uh, here's my theory, again, uh, people buy what they like, or to take it one step further, what they find themselves emotionally attached to. Yeah, so really, obviously, groundbreaking stuff here. Uh, in fact, it seems just so obvious that you could just probably dismiss it, uh, but please bear with me, don't just exit out just yet, uh, as I think it does connect with a lot of what we see taking place in the sports card market overall. To illustrate what I mean, I wanted to show you some of my favorite cards in my personal collection. Uh, objectively speaking, most of these are not my best cards, but they are some of the cards which I like the best, and I'll be explaining why. Uh, there on the screen is my Golden Pairs dual game-used patches of Ray Allen and Glenn Robinson from 2014 Gold Standard. When I was a young Bucks fan in the late 1990s, Ray Allen and the Big Dog were everything to me, and I love that I get to hold a couple game-used relics from them both on the same card. Uh, next up, there's my TJ Ford Topps Finest Rookie Auto, numbered out of 250. After Ray Allen left, Michael Red stepped in to fill the void, and a ton of his rookie cards too. Uh, but that same year as Michael Red's breakout, we also drafted the young point guard from Texas in TJ Ford, who I thought was going to be the best in his 2003 draft class. That season in art class, we made paper mache marionettes, and mine was fashioned after TJ Ford, number 11 with the headband. Only kid in school that made a Bucks player, but that was who I was after. Uh, then there's Andrew Bogut, Nursan Ilyasova, dual, dual authentic signatures from 2005 Upper Deck. After years of suffering, he finally won the lottery, got the top pick in the draft, took the Naismith Player of the Year out of Utah, who Milwaukee fans nicknamed the Revolution. And then the Bucks snagged the European sharpshooter, affectionately known as Turkish Thunder, in the second round. If there was any turning point in the franchise, it seemed like that was going to be it. At least it felt like that at the time. When that didn't pan out, the 2009 draft came knocking, and the Bucks were able to snag the young Enigma, the player who bypassed college and went and played professionally in Italy instead, who already appeared on the cover of Slam Magazine before he even made it into the league. That's Brandon Jennings. I am happy to have a 2009 Court Kings rookie auto numbered out of 649, but the only BGS 10 pristine in existence. That means a whole lot to me, and it probably doesn't mean much to anyone else. 
Then there's my 2019 Josh Hart Showtime Signatures from Noir, numbered out of 99 as he walks into the arena wearing a Dwight Schrute costume for Halloween, obviously inspired by The Office, my all-time favorite TV show. Then there's my Squints Paladoris Auto from 2018 Tops, my favorite character from one of my favorite movies. Uh, even from this year's Project 70, one of my favorite PC cards came from that set. That's the Randy Johnson Pokemon-inspired card. Pokemon, which I play a lot of in my day, and, and also paying homage to the infamous Fastball Pigeon murder, which anyone who's around my age and watched SportsCenter three times on loop every morning like I did around the turn of the millennium remembers that highlight like it was playing on TV just yesterday. So you see a theme through all of these. They're my favorites because... I like these things. You know, they tell a story about a part of my life. I have an emotional connection with all of these cards in some small way. And that's the key. There's an emotional connection there. You know, normally speaking, a picture of Josh Hart walking down a hallway in a suit wouldn't make me look twice, but seeing that classic mustard yellow shirt and suit combination that is unmistakably Dwight Schrute, immediately once I saw it, I knew that I needed that card. Didn't matter the price. We experience those sorts of emotional connections with things that we're exposed to. You know, the more that we watch, the more that certain uh, a certain show or artist or idea seeps into the, our day-to-day -day lives, you know, oftentimes that leaves more of an emotional connection. And we see that all the time in today's media. Uh, when you listen to a podcast three times a week, when you watch the same anchor or analyst on TV every single day, you start to feel like you know those people and you become attached to them. And it's such that if you saw them in the wild, you know, they wouldn't know who you are at all. You, you'd feel like you know them very well. You have an emotional connection to that person that just isn't returned because they haven't been exposed in the same way to you. It takes time. It, you know, it takes exposure. It takes repeated consumption of a media product to really develop that bond with an individual. And related to all this, has it ever happened to you, you know, where you meet someone who uh, you know, is famous but you've never really heard of before? Or, you know, like you find yourself in, in the same place as maybe an athlete of a sport that you don't actually watch. I mean, what's your reaction like in those types of moments? Probably a whole lot of nothing. You know, fame isn't universal. A person can be famous, but if you don't know them, to you, they're just going to be another Joe Schmo. And for instance, uh, at the National Sports Card Collector Convention from a month ago, Steve Aoki was pretty close to our booth, the Slabstocks booth. And objectively speaking, I know Steve Aoki is famous, but I really don't know much about him other than that he's a DJ and now he's into cards. And this isn't meant as a slight to him at all. Obviously, he's, he's way more famous and a ton of people know him. Not very many people know me. But to me, he's just a guy. So he was 15 feet from our booth and, and there were a lot of people going up to him and taking pictures and stuff. And, and I really didn't feel the need to do the same because, again, I just don't have any sort of emotional connection built up with him. But I did have the opportunity, a little name dropping here, I did have the opportunity to meet and hang out with Kevin Nagandi from SportsCenter for a while. And that, to me, was awesome and surreal. You know, I would, I would imagine that when we're talking about fame, Steve Aoki obviously takes the cake between those two, probably. But for me personally, I've watched Kevin Nagandi on ESPN since high school. I had built up that emotional connection with him, and I was over the moon about the opportunity to sit and talk with him. So see where I'm going with all this. You could take two players' cards, one being a Hall of Famer, objectively a better player overall, and the other just being a young rookie. And in today's market, more often than not, the rookie is going to be currently worth more. You know, we all look at that and say, hey, why is Luka Doncic more expensive than Kevin Garnett? Garnett's a Hall of Famer. What's Luka done? 
but people will buy the cards of players that they like, you know, that they're emotionally attached to, and that connection is built up in a variety of different ways. And I tell you what, objectively speaking, leagues are much better at putting the players out there and telling their stories and building those types of connections with fans in 2021 than they ever have been in the past. NFL Sunday Ticket, that didn't start until 1994. NBA League Pass didn't start until 1995. Until those two things came into being, it was a lot more difficult to see the best players from around the league on any given Sunday. That's just facts. Of course, there were nationally televised games, but the opportunities to watch any given player on any given day just did not exist unless that player played in your local market. In the late 1970s and early 80s, NBA playoffs and even NBA Finals games were being shown on a tape delay. You know, the games would be played, recorded, and then aired at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time since they just weren't garnering enough eyeballs in a primetime slot to make it worth it. You can't even imagine that happening today with every single big game being a major social event held over social media. Speaking of social media, Twitter was first founded in 2006, but it really didn't start catching on all that much until about the turn of the decade. Uh, Instagram was founded around that time, 2010, but it took a half decade or more for that service to really start turning into the platform as it exists today, which has become one that's really great at sharing NBA highlights. And those are now two of the biggest drivers for sports consumption, especially among millennials and Gen Zers. You know, even as the NBA TV ratings and viewership have gradually declined over the past decade, the NBA is thriving on social media, positioning itself as one of the healthiest leagues moving forward. In fact, if you compare the social media followings of the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, and the EPL, that being the English Premier League, the NBA is wiping the floor with all of them. On YouTube, the NBA has over double the next closest league and subscriber account. 16.9 million for the NBA and coming in second way down at 7.9 million is the NFL. It's followed by Major League Baseball at 3.3 million and then comes the EPL last at 1.88 million subscribers. But the EPL isn't so lowly on Twitter and Instagram, but it still doesn't come close to the NBA. On Twitter, the NBA is again the runaway first place with 34.3 million followers, followed by the EPL at 27.8 million, then the NFL close behind at 26.9 million, and then the MLB is just such a distant fourth place at only 9.2 million followers. Same story on Instagram. NBA at 59.1 million, EPL at 48.7, NFL at 21.2, and the MLB again in dead last at 7.7 million followers. Considering those numbers, is it any surprise that the NBA is the runaway leader in the sports card market as well? Now, this is the league that has freely allowed fans to share highlights of NBA games on any platform. Uh, it's worked as totally free advertising, and it's subsequently built just a huge young fan base. Contrast that with the MLB, which I love, as, as baseball has always been one of my biggest loves, and yet its fan base is skewing older and older every year, and part of that is due to the MLB just putting a stranglehold on the sharing of highlights on social media, all for the opportunity to try and gain some more subscriber do dollars in the short term. Predictably, even though the baseball card market is still relatively strong, it just can't compare to the basketball card market at all. In the NBA, the players, the players' likeness, the players' stories, everything is just marketed in such an effective way. I really do believe that the average fan has a stronger emotional connection to NBA players than they do in any other league on average. And of course, there are some exceptions. But it's no surprise that in the NFL and in the MLB, most fans root for a particular team. But in the NBA, there is a huge percentage of fans that follow individual players. It's the stories, the emotional connection that the NBA is so strong at building, which is the driving factor in all of this. 
So with all that being said, and, and I do thank you if you're still listening, uh, should it come as a surprise to us when a young player in the NBA in 2021, playing with all the benefits for his image and brand that come with playing today, should it come as a surprise to us if their cards are more expensive than Hall of Famers? I really don't think that should be surprising at all. After all, it's somewhat the effect of seeing a famous person that you don't really know anything about. You know, even if you know that they're objectively famous, if they don't really mean anything to you, you probably won't care all that much. But if you saw someone less famous that you had built that type of emotional bond with, you'd probably care a whole lot. And similarly, if you're comparing the cards of Fran Tarkenton to Josh Allen, objectively, we all know who has the better stats and who's already in the Hall of Fame. But for most people in sports card world, Fran Tarkenton is just a name. Uh, there's really not really any connection there outside of knowing who he is. But Josh Allen, he's Josh Allen. And we can keep trying out this theory in other areas as well. Uh, you, you can think about the Last Dance documentary that aired last April. Uh, we all know what happened with the Michael Jordan card market during the Last Dance, and, and sure, that could be due to any number of reasons, but it just fits so cleanly into my theory. You know, we have an entire generation of basketball fans who well know who MJ is, but they're also the generation that says, who's the GOAT, MJ or LeBron? But then they really just don't have the requisite history with Michael Jordan as a player to be able to speak intelligently on it without, you know, other than just listing the plain stats. Enter the Last Dance, a documentary so well made and so well timed, it was like cramming in 10 years of Jordan wonder and emotion and excitement and highlights into 10 episodes of television. More than anything, The Last Dance told the story of Michael Jordan and built that connection to the viewer through, uh, through the highlights, through the soundtrack, uh, through the storytelling, so that any viewer that, were, that was watching it felt like they were transported back to the mid-90s as a Michael Jordan stan. Uh, emotional connection built up with a whole new swath of card collectors, demand increases, and the card prices soar. It's all super predictable, really. Another good example of this uh, that comes to mind is Kobe Bryant. Uh, rest in peace. You know, Kobe uh, was not the most liked player in the NBA when he was still playing. You know, not by a long shot. Uh, he was actually probably the most polarizing player in the league for many years. You know, everyone either loved him or they hated him. There really wasn't a whole ton of middle ground with him. At least that was my perspective on it. Uh, then obviously we all know what happened last January, and and that was an emotional day for for pretty much all NBA fans and even just sports fans in general. You know, that was a death that shocked people around the world more than any since probably Princess Diana. Uh, the way that Kobe's death just touched so many people deep down in a variety of ways that are even hard to understand or explain or put into words, you know, suddenly this emotional connection is built with a much larger audience than even Kobe built during his playing career. And, and then card prices soar. And that's not something that I like. You know, the immediate reaction in the card market kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth, but I can understand it through this lens. I mean, it's not just that athlete deaths cause their cards to skyrocket. You know, just like not every documentary causes a player's market to skyrocket. Uh, it was just the way that these two events happened, the way that they touched the masses, that really brought these card market reactions about. And there are other ways that we can test this overarching theory uh, about emotional connection as well. You know, consider some of the top players in the NBA whose card markets drag behind their peers. I'm thinking about guys like James Harden and Kyrie Irving, uh, even Kevin Durant to an extent. 
all great players in their own special ways. But you know, when the media started to cover those players as as villains in the story, you know, suddenly that really negatively impacts the emotional connection to those players, and their prices start to follow behind many others. Or you can think about the teams whose players' cards generally just do really well. You know, think like the uh, the Los Angeles Lakers or the Boston Celtics. Is it just because those franchises are in Boston and Los Angeles and they have huge media markets? You know, that can't be it because the Clippers cards don't do the same as Lakers cards. You know, every new Chargers player doesn't immediately skyrocket in value. But the Lakers and the Celtics are two of the storied franchises in basketball that have built such a rich history connecting and resonating with millions of fans from generation to generation. And the result is just a much healthier card market for those teams. Now, there are other large media markets all over the place that can't do the same in the card market, and it's because the franchises haven't yet built that rich legacy that really just resonates with the masses. You know, obviously, I could probably just keep going on and on and on and extrapolating and applying this idea, but uh, we've gone on long enough. You know, In my opinion, the biggest reason people buy sports cards is because they like them, because they have built some sort of emotional connection with those cards or players or whatever elements on the cards. And, you know, if it was all just about plain money, there are a lot easier and more straightforward ways to make money than buying and selling sports cards. I think we all know that. At its core, this hobby is rooted in emotions, in love, and in sentiment, and in nostalgia. Now, I don't know how predictive that is as a model. I think it's probably more useful as a descriptive model than anything. You know, it describes what we're seeing when new, ever-present on social media, up-and-coming stars are worth more than players that played three decades ago. You know, that makes sense through this lens. Uh, it describes what we're seeing when, when lovable players are worth more in value than even maybe better players that are often painted as the villain. That makes a lot of sense through this lens, too. As a predictive tool, you know, I don't know, you know, target the players that are likable, you know, around whom the storylines are nearly always positive, the players uh, that play in those storied franchises, the players who are the most, you know, present on social media, either as users or as human highlights. Uh, that's all obvious, but all of those things also build into this emotional bond between player and fan, and those things will tend to manifest themselves in the sports card marketplace. If you pay attention to those things, I don't think you have to be as worried about you know, player X being worth more than player Y, and player Y has better stats. It's pretty useless to compare different eras in sports as it is. I also think it's pretty useless to compare different eras when you're talking about sports cards. Uh, so that's all I have for you today. And I know it is a bit different from my usual show, it's a departure from the usual norm around here, uh, but I really think some of the narrative around values can be pretty misguided at times, and I do think that this is a better way to look at these things. Uh, so thank you so much for tuning in and, and sticking around if you're still here. I'll be back next week with more stats and charts and figures and all the things that you're used to. Uh, Alrighty, uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks. <laughs>